the hell? Hello and welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob, joined by Carl Mascarenas, and today we are breaking down Manchester United's 6-2 win over Leeds United. This was a match that was always going to be full of goals. You hope that it would be a few more for United than Leeds, and that's the way it panned out. A lot more in the end. A great way to start this Sunday. Carl, how are you feeling about that? Man, that was just refreshing to watch, just because United get a, a well-deserved, much-needed victory at home, uh, which is rare these days. But also just, you know, watching two teams going at each other, counter-attacking, it was just a pleasure to watch. And I think the the commentator summed it up best. I think it was Jim Beglin where he said, you know, uh, I got my Christmas gift early this year. I, de- I definitely know the rest of my Sunday is going to be a nice, happy one. Although I don't think you can say that for everybody. <laughs> That's a good point. We have a special guest with us today. I know usually I would read out the scores, but if I read out the scores today for the eight goals, we'd be here for quite a while. So instead, let me intro our special guest, a diehard Leeds United fan. Thanks for joining the show today. Matt, how are you doing? Matt Balmforth with us today. Hey, guys. Yeah, I'm not too bad, to be honest. I'm not too too down about it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. So, yeah, I think you do have plenty of reason to be, you know, somewhat upbeat about the performance. We were talking a bit before we started recording. And on another day, I was thinking it could have looked a lot like that first match that Leeds played for this season against Liverpool, where Liverpool won that 4-3. A couple of chances here and there, it could have looked that way, right, Matt? Yeah, I think there yeah, there were similarities without a doubt. Especially I think from about the twenty, twenty-fifth minute onwards, Leeds really started to get back into the game. You know, those two early goals really, really killed it for us. That was quite a steep slope to climb after after conceding the you know, two goals in two minutes. Carl, that was a pleasant surprise to say the least. Scott McTominay, two goals in the first three minutes. I thought the commentator made a great point when he said, if you picked someone to not score two goals in the first three minutes, you would have picked Scotty McTominay. Yeah, definitely. I, I was I was super impressed with the, his runs and his just alertness and awareness of where his marker was at all times. And you could see, I think they broke it down a little bit on, on the second goal. Scott realized that, uh, I can't remember who the player was on the Leeds team who was supposed to be marking him, had his eyes on... Martial and so Scott just ran in from behind took that first touch and then the second one into the back of the net the level of composure he showed for both of those finishes Martial is probably hoping that rubs off on him sometime soon because um, Martial could have definitely used some of those uh, some of that comp- composure when he was finishing you know you're talking about Martial a Frenchman hopefully being inspired by what was happening around him I was looking at Scott McTominay's performance, especially going forward and identifying those chances to be a bit more attack-minded. I couldn't help but think of the value of having competition for places. And you look at someone like Paul Pogba, who with the comments recently, it seems like he'll be happy to remain at the club until the end of the season if United can't find that suitable transfer in the January window. And so he's had a couple of strong performances. Scott McTominay is looking at this start and saying, okay, I've got to show that I can do more if I want to be in this lineup. And is that maybe why we saw what we saw today? 
based off of the uh, the post match uh, press conferences, it looked like United analyzed Leeds's strategy quite a bit, and uh, there was a clear game plan for one of the midfielders on our team, the defensive midfielders, to push up and be aggressive and attack. Because it looks like, and I was trying to notice as well, Leeds play with just Calvin Phillips uh, guarding the back line. They don't have two defensive mids. So if Calvin Phillips is is not in the right position or is preoccupied, it leaves a gap for one of the trailing midfielders to come in and potentially get a goal, right? And it looks like United exploited that within the first three minutes and continued to do so throughout the game. So kudos to whoever spotted that, uh, their video analysts. But overall, I don't know what Ole did to get his guys going from minute one, but I hope he remembers what he did because he needs to bottle that up and continue that going forward. I just have a quick question for Matt. When you see games like that, we obviously know that Bielsa is, you know, he, he sticks to his philosophy no matter what. Now, in that game, it was crying out for two defensive midfielders for Leeds to try and stop that space in the middle of the park that was happening time and time again when Leeds gave the ball up. Now, is that something that Bielsa does? Do you think he should have done that today? Uh, I just want to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, you know, over the last couple of years Bielsa has been here you know we'll we'll go through phases any any time where we've struggled really and people uh you know fans do get frustrated because uh there is there isn't really a plan b right plan b is is do plan a better and uh and that's kind of the way it is and you know no one argues with Bielsa no one uh you take it you trust him right and that's just that's what we do gotcha and so you weren't surprised by the tactics and you weren't surprised that there wasn't any change in tactics after the quick start either. Question for you, does Bielsa make substitutions, you know, at unorthodox moments like, or does he wait for the 60th minute or the 45th minute? Have you ever seen him make a sub in the first half for tactical reasons? Yeah, I mean, Villa's a good example where um, Strike, who who came on at halftime today, you know, he's a young kid, he's not played much much first team football at all and uh, you know he started against Villa when Calvin Phillips was injured for a month you know he picked up a yellow card early on in that game bringing down Jack Grealish that uh, you know Bielsa immediately hauled him off and uh, and brought on another youngster right Jamie Jamie Shackleton mm-hmm. uh, yeah he does he does do that I mean I noticed very early on as well that Daniel James and Rashford, I think, you know, we're both, you know, Leeds fans are probably extremely wary of those two and the pace they have. But, you know, obviously they're very direct as well. But they, they came in quite narrow. They they really did press the fullbacks and uh and and Phillips was very preoccupied with with Fernandez, which I thought he would be. Um so, you know, when leading up to the game, I was very worried about Paul Pogba, right? Because I thought he's going to be that loose man coming in late to the box, and he's he's a powerful player, um, you know, highly highly talented player. But you know, I think McTominay played that that role today. Click was at fault on both those two early goals. I don't know if that was a, a trick from Solskjaer, you know, a psychological uh, trick by by leaving Pogba out. I'm sure the Leeds team, you know, Pogba's been playing the last couple of weeks and. They probably would have been uh, gearing up to to play against Pogba, right? Yeah, no question. 
you look at the changes he made for this match, De Gea in for Henderson, Luke Shaw in for Alex Tellez, McTominay, as we just mentioned, coming in for Pogba, and Daniel James coming in for Mason Greenwood. Carl, did any of these changes surprise you? Well, from our last episode, Vivek, I think I think we did pretty well. We got 10 out of 11 correct. I think the only one we did not predict was Dan James coming into the team. That one definitely caught me by surprise. And I actually wanted to get your opinion before I gave mine on on why you think Dan James was included in the team today. So I think there's a bit of squad rotation going on here. I think he recognizes that. But I've been a bit the opinion that Mason Greenwood still hasn't been up to par. And I still think there's more that he has to offer that you can sort of coax out of him. And hopefully, you know, just knowing that he could potentially even be behind Dan James as well. I think that's something that might give him the kick in the behind that he needs to kick off his season and be at the level that we saw a season ago. Yeah, so definitely surprised to see him come in. But I will give credit to Solskjaer because obviously... You know, we wanted to see those proactive changes where we're looking at United making better starts and not having to adjust at halftime and continue to make these comebacks that they've been making. So to make these changes and have it come off and have the results speak for themselves in the first half, that's a big plus for Ole. Ole was actually asked this question about the inclusion of James in the in the team in the uh, post-match interview. And mm-hmm. he, he said, he's like, I'm sure you guys saw why I included him, right? Kind of putting it back onto the media to figure it out for themselves. But from what I could see, it, he he knew Leeds' counterattacking ability and he knew how many people they committed forward. And so what he couldn't afford to do was kind of what happened against Sheffield United when John Fleck had that chance, right? Where he came on the edge of the box and had a shot. He needed people tracking back. And he knew that Dan James 100% will track back and he will do what he's asked to do. right? And I think that is the main reason why Dan James was included. And obviously right. going forward, he's got that speed to trouble them so that if they do commit bodies, they're going to be in trouble on the on the counter. right? And that was also exposed when Dan James had a fantastic first touch and took it away from himself and finished it with the left foot uh, between the keeper's legs. This was one of those moments where everything Ole tried uh, turned out well. He usually lumps it when mistakes are made, uh, and that's happened a couple of times this season. And so praise must be given to him for getting it right today. Yep, and he's obviously getting it right more often than not in the Premier League. That's 19 out of 21 points now for United. Matt, when you're looking at Leeds, you obviously mentioned that there's plenty of positives to take away from this match. Big picture, though, when you look at the squad depth, when you look at the concerns with not being able to play the same defensive line consistently, where are you at with Leeds' big picture? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when, when I kind of look at the fixtures, when they came out and, uh, you know, make my own predictions on where we should be at certain points in the season, really we're, uh, we're pretty much in line with that, to be honest. I think mm-hmm. we're 14 games in. I think, you know, we have to we have to set our, you know, realistic expectations, right? The Premier League has changed a lot uh, since we were last year, especially in the last 10 years. We've been lucky some games, you know, uh, other teams. I mean, right now we're obviously struggling with, with injuries. It's not really an excuse, though, because 
you know, the teams we faced, I think we faced the Leicester City B side much more in that that game. But, you know, you come out with a 4-1 loss. It is difficult. We don't have the squad depth that, you know, the big six have. Um, we came into the season with with one one centre back and one striker. And uh, unfortunately, you know, the two international centre backs we've signed, they're both, both out injured at this time. But when we have played Robin Cock, I think, yeah, there's lots of positives. When we have played Robin Cock and uh, Liam Cooper at the back with, uh, Phillips sitting in front of them. We've uh, we haven't lost a game actually, but that's only happened five times this season, unfortunately. Now we have to be fair in terms of United having their own defensive concerns in this match. Uh, plenty of chances for Leeds, and I thought De Gea made a big save early in that second half, where potentially you could have seen a bit of a momentum shift if that goes in. Carl, with both Fred and Scott playing, were United still a bit too open and exposed? You know what, Vivek, this game, if you isolate certain things, um, I didn't think Fred had a good game, first of all. I thought he gave the ball away in dangerous areas more than once. And Mm -hmm. you know what, If, if Leeds were more clinical, they would have made us pay. Patrick Bamford should have scored... Within the first 20 minutes when he had that chance, it would completely change the game. You you said it right. De Gea made a fantastic save. I probably put that in the top five saves of the season personally. I don't know how yeah, he definitely. cut that out. <laughs> that was hit with a lot of power from Rafinha. And, and I think the cameraman zoomed into his face. And I think he was in disbelief for a good like two to three minutes. Because the corner kick, he wasn't like even... <laughs> like He looked like he was in a daze. <laughs> But yes, I agree with you, Vivek. I think we were still a little too open in spite of having two defensive midfielders. And I think that was purely because I think the players did lose focus at certain times because leads will make you pay if you give up possession cheaply, usually. Mm-hmm. right? And they were pushing, they were pushing. I was super impressed with the way they pushed right until the end. You know, 88th minute, 89th minute, they're pressing us. The defense has to stay switched on. And I think Ole made a good point. These games are great for keeping your mental focus switched on for the whole game. Not for 60, not for 70 minutes, but for 90 minutes, right? And I hope that the players learn something from this game where they know need to know that, hey, if I'm switched on the whole game, guess how many chances we can create as opposed to having lulls in the game, right? And so I really hope that's one of the takeaways from today's game. Yeah, they concede from a corner. That's become old news for this club. I thought Dallas, obviously, that was an excellent strike. I don't want to take anything away from that. But I was confused as to how much Aaron Wan-Bissaka just stepped off him. Obviously, there was a run going across, but Lindelof was clearly following that runner. And so I was really surprised to see Wan-Bissaka not close down Dallas for the shot. Matt... Carl was talking about Leeds just continuing to press and maintaining the same mindset throughout the match. And especially in those closing stages, you could see Bielsa's intensity. Why don't you give us a little insight into their murder ball practice sessions? You can see that the players are extremely fit. And uh, and that's the way Bielsa wants to play, right? Is the high press, uh, non-stop running, and uh, 
what what they do is it all comes from uh, these murder ball training sessions every Thursday. They play eleven v eleven. It goes on for two hours, and I believe there's no breaks at all. So as soon as a ball goes out, another ball's thrown back in. They'll randomly blow the whistle, and the players have to run back to their starting positions, and and they resume the game from there. So that just goes on for two hours straight. So when when they get to a game, ninety minutes. You know, balls go out for throw-ins and numerous pauses in the match. You know, it's nothing. It's nothing for them. You mentioned that intensity being nothing uh, for Leeds. Carl, it'll be nice if Marshall can get to a point where his finishing is nothing to him. I think we're seeing this season that there are plenty of issues for him in that regard. There was that one shot that he took. I was fully expecting as he was cutting to the right he takes that first touch and then it's just going to be boom, the shot. But he takes another touch, takes another touch, and then it's too late. It gets blocked. What are your impressions of his finishing right now and what you saw in this match? I think, you know, it's it's funny. You pointed out exactly what I was going to point out. Uh, Martial in form, once he cuts in, the next touch is a shot on goal, right? When he's in form and he's confident. He mm-hmm. put the second touch to set himself up one more time and then completely missed the target, right? And so I think that it's just uh, screaming of uh, a lack of confidence for Martial. I think he needs to bag a couple goals and then he'll be fine. Yes, he did get one in the previous game. But I think he needs one of those curlers. One of the, the, That's his patent kind of goal. <laughs> he needs one of those to really get himself going. What I was happy with today was his movement. His movement was a lot better. He was running into the channels and he was showing for the ball. And he was able to hold it up really well. So, mm-hmm. you know what? Parts of his game are coming together. The, the the end product isn't there yet. But, you know, a lot to be positive about heading into this, you know, fixture pileup. You know, Cavani coming on as well. I guess we haven't heard what the punishment is going to be just yet. But he's going to be important from a squad rotation standpoint. Because uh, the League Cup, I'm pretty sure Ole is going to take that one seriously. Because it would be nice to get a trophy uh, as soon mm-hmm. as possible. So I'm going to be interested to see how he uh, he lines up the boys for that one. There is actually one last moment that I want to touch on, and I want to get both your takes on this. Matt, I guess from a Leeds perspective, uh, I'll ask you first. There was the play where Leeds goalkeeper catches the ball, trying to spark a break the other way. Fred intercepts and goes entirely by himself has that been an issue at all for Leeds this season and then Carl I want to get your thoughts on Fred just taking it and shooting (laughs) yeah I think uh you know there are there are times this season where uh the instructions are to to get the ball out uh as quick as possible from the back right make Mm -hmm. passes I mean any any time that we are under pressure you know we we look at that as immediately we can turn that over and attack right counter-attack that same with corners although corners are our weakness and you know I saw some positives today I thought we improved on those we we scored one for a change and you know we still conceded one (laughs) (laughs) you know we we look at those as opportunities that we can break from that right and uh you know I I don't know what was I think it was Dallas slipped right it it wasn't a very good throw out from from Melier but uh how has Melier's ball distribution been in general this season uh, yeah, overall, it's it's. I'd say it's very good. To be honest, he's he's good with his feet, and uh, you know he's a big, tall, lanky kid. Yeah, his his distribution's good. 
Carl, Marshall was not happy at all when Fred took that shot. What were your thoughts on that play? So there's there's two different perspectives you can take. The one is the one perspective is what was the right decision in that moment? And then the second perspective is taking into consideration the score was 6-2 and Fred just went past two people, what should he do? Right? Those are the two perspectives. And if I'm if I'm looking at it, you know, if I'm a player and we're winning 6-2 and I've just beaten two people, I'm going for goal. I don't care who's looking at me and which strikers are waiting. I'm going for goal just because I feel like I've built up that play and we're in a position where I can take the shot, right? And if I get a goal, it'll be nice because I, I need a goal. I haven't scored one for a long time, right? And Fred is the one who intercepted the pass. Yeah, so... I'm actually completely fine with Fred doing that. The right thing to do would have been to cut it back to either Cavani or Martial. But you know what? Martial, you had enough chances to score, so stop complaining. That's what I would have told him. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you on that. Vivek, I actually have a couple of questions for Matt for for the game itself and in general. So Matt, do you think that uh, Calvin Phillips, it was a little harsh on him to sub him off at halftime? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do, personally. Um, you know, but Bielsa did the same thing uh, last weekend when we were losing to West Ham, pulled off Alioski and Harrison off the left side, which, again, I thought Alioski and Harrison struggled big time in this match, right? It's the reaction, right? I mean, whether, you know, Bielsa thought to himself, all right, this game's lost, um, you know, take him off and, you know, get a reaction for the the next two games, which do matter, right? We're playing Burnley and West Brom next, so those are must-win games for us. So you think he was actually, he, he he had taken him off to conserve some energy as opposed to, hey, you didn't do a good job, I'm taking you off? No, 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 no. It definitely he's taken him off because, uh, you know, I think he was involved really with, with the first four goals, wasn't he? Every single one he had a part to play. No, it's to, it's to, to get a reaction Right, the next couple of weeks. If you don't, if you don't play well enough, you're you're not in the team. Yeah, fair enough. You know what? In today's game, I could see why he he got the call up for England now because his his distribution when he does have the ball and those long balls diagonals that he kicks out, he does it with such ease. So I was impressed from that standpoint. Personally, I do think in a game of this magnitude and also the way Manchester United set up, I think that. You know, Calvin Phillips, yes, he made mistakes, but you know what? He didn't have anybody else to help him do that defensive job. And that's quite the job if you want someone to mark Bruno, who looks like he never stops running uh, and finds space. You're you're really, you know, setting yourself up for disaster from that perspective. So um, I did think it was a little harsh, but you know what? We talk about man management and, you know, this could be uh, a masterstroke if you know Calvin Phillips comes up big in the next two games where like you said you really need the points right which which kind of leads me to my second question with the games coming up thick and fast and Leeds style of playing which is super high tempo high pressing and not too much squad rotation uh, are you you know afraid that if you guys don't get to 40 points by march you know your season could peter out just because of tiredness uh, no not really i mean we're we're used to playing in the championship right where we play twice a week it's saturday wednesday every single week 
the Premier League in comparison. It's got sort of, you know, part-time football. <laughs> right. No, I mean, the, the thing to be worried about for us is the, the squad depth, right, um, and injuries. I think in Bielsa's first season, the 18-19 season, we had 60 injuries that, that year. And I think that was a big reason that we, we weren't promoted that season. But, you know, we had more depth that year. We had extra midfielders. Uh, you know, we had two strikers. So, you know, yeah, you're right. If, you know, if Bamford had to get injured, I guess Rodrigo would step up. But there's there's really no one at this moment to fill in in midfield. I think that's an area we really need to strengthen in the transfer window and uh, in a left back as well. We need a left back. Uh, Stuart Dallas does fantastically well. You know, he's kind of our James Milner in our team, you know, very versatile player, fills in wherever he's needed. But but we do need someone who's left-footed playing left-back and, uh, you know, that Premier League quality, right, to, to, to help balance the side a, a little better. Matt, on that note, we can get to the awards now. And let's start with you for the noisiest neighbor. Who did you think was the best player on show for Leeds in this one? Uh, it's It's difficult to say. I think probably... Rafinha, just because uh, he tries to be positive, right? He had a great shot and, uh, you know, it was an unbelievable save from De Gea, as Carl pointed out. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and at that point, I mean, I think the score was, it was might have been 5-2 at that point. Even with the last go, uh, the last attempt there where Harrison somehow misses the entire net. I mean, even looking at a 6-4 scoreline, that it, it more evenly kind of balances out the uh, the stats, right, when you're looking at possession and the number right. of uh, the shots created as well. I, I think overall, yeah, Rafinha, he gave the ball away a lot. I think leading up to the first goal, it was even Rafinha losing the ball. And uh, same with Stuart Dallas down the right. But, you know, that's that's the risk. That's the risk you take, right, when you try and be positive. I think Dallas was good too, you know, making these overlapping runs, I mean, I guess that's that's an easier side of the field to to be on, quite possibly, right? Rather than uh, you know Harrison being up against Wan Bissaka, I think was always going to be difficult for him to to do anything. Um, and I thought, yeah, Dan Dan James's speed maybe was just to pin Alioski back because Alioski loves doing the the same thing, right? Overlapping uh, Harrison and uh, you know contributing to our attacks. So. He wasn't able to do that. So I think, yeah, overall from my side, probably Rafinha just for his, his positive contribution. Carl, anyone else stand out from a Leeds perspective to you? You know, most of the danger came from the left-hand side and it was Rafinha. So uh, I think I, I agree with Matt. Yeah, he's probably like a standout performer for me as well. Yeah, I agree with that as well. Dallas was another one who stood out to me. Not just for the goal, I thought his work rate was excellent. But moving on to the Cantona caller, can we go with anyone besides Scott McTominay for the way he went forward for those two goals? And then, let's face it, he put in a shift as well. I thought he was all over the pitch. Yeah, no, I think that that, that one is a no-brainer. His performance just speaks for himself. I, I don't know if you heard the line from Gary Neville on Sky Sports. It was, it's, it's quite funny. He said that going forward, uh, Scott McTominay 
reminded him of Paul Scholes and defending the back four reminded him of Roy Keane. So he had both those performances in one game. Paul wow. Ince, Paul Ince uh, the analyst on DAZN said, I think uh, Gary Neville needs to stop drinking too much. <laughs> 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 yeah, because those are, those are quite the compliments. And the, the question was even posed to him in the, uh, the post-match interview. And Scott completely ignored that question. He didn't want to get into it. He just had a smile and he's like, not, not taking that one. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, was there a standout performer to you from a United perspective? Manchester United perspective? Uh, yeah, I think McTomney. It was a complete performance from him, right? The, the two goals, the, the runs he made were fantastic. And the, the finishes, you know, his second, uh, or sorry, his first touch on the second goal was, was just fantastic right makes it an easy mm-hmm. and uh also as assist that pass for for daniel james was just fantastic so i think he takes it easily so i, I guess we can get into this later on in the podcast but how how matt and i know each other but when scott first came on he reminded me a little bit of the way matt used to play but you know tall scotsman uh lanky scotsman uh running all over the place never stops running so matt if i were to pick a united player that you would resemble it would probably be scott so i mean if you if you just uh translate what gary neville said carl just said you're a version of roy Keane and paul skulls combined that's definitely one way of looking at it (laughs) i'm not gonna say that carl's been drinking So I'm just going to take that as a compliment. <laughs> but I will say that Carl is a much better player than I am. <laughs> You're too kind, Matt. Now, this might be a tough one to do from the United perspective, but uh, I think Fred is probably the standout candidate for you, Carl. Uh, Beckham Boot, is that going to Fred or anyone else? Do you have maybe a Leeds candidate? Honestly, you know what? Like I was being ultra critical as well when I was talking about Fred. It's really hard to give a Beckham boot to to anybody on the United team after that performance. I mean, obviously, when you're looking at the Leeds performance, one guy who did get the boot was Calvin Phillips. And so, you know, he could be a candidate for that. But if you're looking purely from a United standpoint, I think the Beckham boot would go to our first 10-minute mentality because that was booted out of today's game because they didn't have anybody who started slow. <laughs> I know it's a bit cheesy, but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I hear you on the Phillips one. Maybe Matthias Click. Did you see anyone that you just thought was rubbish today, Matt? It's hard to say, really. I mean, Alioski's not a player of very high quality, but you know, like a lot of the Leeds players, he works extremely hard, right? So it's it's kind of cruel. It's a cruel award. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think I think Click over the last few weeks he's just looked very very tired. I don't know if that's because he's had to kind of run the show while uh, Phillips has been out. I think yeah, probably probably Click to be honest. But the guy the guy needs help, right? He's a he's a great player. Bielsa has said uh, recently that he's he's the the player in the team that could play on on any team in Europe. So he can't be a one man show, especially. Uh, you know, I think whoever we sign, Rodrigo's a fantastic player as well, and he showed moments of quality today. But you have to you have to build a team around these players, right? You can't just throw them in. So we're a work in progress. We're not a settled side yet, but uh, I think you know over the course of the season we'll get there and we'll have 
just as many high moments as, as low moments. So Matt, just going back how we, we first met, this is, you know, way back in 2005, I think, right? When we were all at uh, the University of Waterloo, you just went on to the village green and that's where, you know, it's just open space of grass where people would just come and play some footy. Uh, that's where we originally met. And um, I guess it's time flies. It's 15 years later. You want to give a little bit about how uh, how you became a Leeds fan? Ah, oh, sure. Yeah, you know what? Well, I'm obviously I'm uh, from Scotland, so my dad is actually from uh, Halifax in West Yorkshire. So it's it's fairly close to Leeds, the city of Leeds. And uh, obviously, when he grew up in the sixties and seventies, Leeds were were one of the top teams in in England at the time, right? along with Liverpool and, and, and Man United as well. But before we immigrated to Canada, and I'm, I've shared with you guys, you know, when I was younger, I almost, you know, I was leaning towards the red side and the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> um, but luckily enough, my dad took me down to Elland Road in April uh, 1999 before we immigrated out, out to Canada. Really, from that day on, there was no going back. Leeds played Nottingham Forest. It was a 3-1 win. And uh, just just the atmosphere in Elland Road. I mean, you know, some, some of the commentators, some of the older players, right? Roy Keane, I heard him talking about, and, you know, Michael Owen and stuff. It, that, the atmosphere at Elland Road is different. It's it's just right up there with, with any of these, uh, you know, stadiums like Anfield, you know, it was just, it was absolutely unbelievable. That, that day, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank scored an absolute thunderbolt uh, right in front of my, my face. We were sat right behind the net. Ian Hart scored one of those beautiful left-footed free kicks, right? Ian Hart was like the David Beckham, you know, mm. the left-footed David Beckham, right, for free kicks. And uh, I think Alan Smith scored a volley as well that day. And, you know, they were such an exciting young team. And uh, to be honest, you know, they looked a lot like that, that Man United team right off uh, of 92 and th- that won the treble. And really, I, you know, that's why I won't go on about people who, who jump on, on bandwagons and, and things like that. Because really, when, when I started following Leeds, you know, it was like every month they would buy a new player and, uh, you know, get in. Rio Ferdinand and, and you know we had we bought Robbie Fowler you know Mark Viduka and then you know Robbie Keane comes in next it's just it was unbelievable such an unbelievable time right and uh, mm-hmm. obviously we've suffered for a very long time after that but it really was living the dream I mean those those were great memories absolutely brilliant that's that's my team right when I look back and think uh you know, why my lead supporter, that, that team is why my lead supporter, Lee Boyer and Harry Kuehl, all these, you know, there's so many, so many great players that, that played for Leeds at that time, you know, and unfortunately being in the lower leagues the last 16 years, you know, we've missed a generation of fans, you know, we've, we've lost a whole generation of fans really, you know, and I think the club with the, the new owner we have in now uh, for the last three, four years, you know, his his aim is his he had a five year plan to get us back to the Premier League. Uh, and he managed to do that in three. And uh, you know, he has big aspirations for a club get getting back into Europe. 
you know, I think we've got to take it a little bit at a time, but definitely everyone at the club now is working in the right direction all together. And uh, definitely it's exciting times ahead. And Matt, you're you're also quite the diehard supporter. You got a, a Leeds United tattoo, don't you? Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> so I got that after uh, Leeds had been promoted back to the championship. I mean, that was an absolutely brutal time uh, following Leeds, right, when they were relegated down to League One. I mean, you guys at, at school were, you know, we'd go to, uh, what was the pub in the University Plaza, right, and we'd watch Man United yeah. Chelsea playing in the Champions League. And on the weekend, I'd be listening to Leeds on the radio, you know, playing against, uh, you know, Yeovil and, you know, some some of these lower rank teams, right? Carlisle United and things like that. I mean, that's why we went so crazy, right? In 2010, when we when we beat Man United at Old Trafford, because, you know, we, we do know what the lows are. And uh, I think experiencing these lows, uh, you know, puts things into perspective, right? And you can enjoy the highs uh, much, much better, right? Yeah, that was a Jermaine Beckford goal, right? That uh, that beat us at at Old Trafford in the FA yeah. Cup. Yeah, that was that was that was someday. That was someday. You you also play quite a, a prominent role, right? You're part of the Leeds United uh, Canadian uh, club, supporters club. Um. So, well, I wouldn't say too prominent at the moment. You know, with COVID, it's been really really tough to get together. So there is a a Canadian supporters group for Leeds fans. And then what's uh, happened just in the last year is there's now a Toronto, we're called the Toronto Maple Leeds. So <laughs> I think there's about, I don't know if we're at about 400 members uh, right now, uh, but that's that's definitely going to grow over the, the next little while. I mean, our fan base, you know, as, as I mentioned, it's a lot of people around, you know, my father's age and then, uh, you know, people, people our age, it kind of, that's the end, right? <laughs> There's a big gap there. So, yeah. yeah, hopefully, you know, we can see that grow over the next little while. And once COVID is over, we can have some big meetups as well. That would be absolutely fantastic. Our fan base is very much kind of local. People are connected to to the club, right? Either they're, they're expats or uh, they're somehow there's some connection there, right? But uh, the club are definitely making the right moves. You know, we've got a partnership recently with Rock Nation, which is, uh, you know, one of Jay-Z's uh, sports marketing companies. And, you know, that's all aimed at trying to attract the, the next generation of fan, right, at the club and try and make up for lost time. So Premier League is such a globalised game now and uh, you know we've we've really missed out on you know expanding our brand to to Asia and even North America as well, right? So yeah, no, fair, fair enough. And uh, you know another way of getting some of the the younger people into the game is also through fantasy football. And you're mm-hmm. you're quite the expert when it comes to fantasy football. What are you the uh, we uh, just for the listeners? We all have a, a league. You know, Vivek is part of it, Matt's part of it, and a couple of other people. And uh, this has been ongoing probably since 2010, I would say. So it's been it's been going on for a while, probably seven to eight players. And Matt is is quite the expert. W- w- you've won this what three times? 
Uh, yeah, probably sounds about right. Yeah. So the three-time champ on the podcast right now, uh, and you know mm. Matt. Matt's an expert; he knows what he's doing. And so, who did you captain in today's game, uh, Matt? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was Bruno Bruno Fernandez. <laughs> Sorry, I, I was asked from some people in the fantasy group to just, you know, find out, uh, get some expert opinions. And so Matt clearly saw something that uh, that we didn't. And so uh, he captained Bruno. He got two goals and an assist. So yeah. uh, that's why Matt's won it so many times, right? He's able to put his emotions aside and make the best decision. Absolutely. Well, I mean, there have been no emotions, right, for uh, the last nine seasons. So. <laughs> you're used to it at this point touche yeah. Matt <laughs> I think just with our side we're we're very unsettled at the moment you know we're, we are still going through a bit of a rough patch even though we got a, a good a good result against Newcastle you know when Newcastle were their uh, COVID um, you know players out you know it's that's a fairly simple game right um, but yeah, we're a bit unsettled and, you know, of course, you know, there's going to be goals, right? I was up all night, Friday night, trying to figure out how to get Rashford in my team as well. And I'm glad I didn't, you know, I didn't fit him in. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, thanks, Matt, for that, uh, you know, little story of, of how you were a fan. I think it's it's important for people to know that, you know what? No matter how you you end up starting to support a team, whether you're jumping on a bandwagon, he he stuck through the to, through the lows and and Leeds did have quite a few lows with going into League One and coming back into the Championship. So fantastic story there. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's all part of our our journey, right? I think as you get a bit older as well, you realize that um, you know things aren't always going to to be great. Um, but yeah, and even this defeat today. It's a big defeat, 6-2 on paper, but, uh, you know, it just means uh, the next time we play, the, the rivalry will just grow stronger, right? We've, we've got to get our revenge. That's right. Uh, we've, we've made some fantasy team selection debates here. Carl, looking ahead to the next match United have on the 23rd, Everton, EFL quarterfinals, what what are you looking for from United in that fixture, lineup wise? I think Paul Pogba is going to come back in there. I think if Ole keeps the same team, we're going to be in trouble through the Christmas break. He has to rotate his players, and so you know, it also looked like Scott kind of stopped with like five minutes left to go in the game. Let's hope that groin isn't uh, you know a bad one, and maybe it's just sore after running so much in the game. So I could definitely see Paul Pogba coming back in that one. I think Dan James will go back to the bench and you'll probably see, you know what, you probably see Edison, Edison Cavani if he hasn't been suspended yet. That's my guess. And then, you know, at the back, you're probably going to see Tellers instead of Shaw. That's my guess. What about you, Vivek? So just to clarify, when you say Cavani's coming in for James, Cavani goes up top and Rashford is going to the right and Marshall is going to the left? Yes. Okay. I feel like this might be a chance to get Rashford a rest or at least bring him on late. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a double change and Mason Greenwood is on the right, Marshall is on the left, and then Cavani is up top. Now, at the back, I would still lean towards the same back four. 
Tellez maybe as a second half option. I was uh, not impressed with the time that he was on the field today and his positioning, his defensive positioning leaves a lot to be desired. So I would not, as you said, I agree that Solskjaer is absolutely going to make winning this match a priority because he ideally needs to get his hand on a trophy this season. So I would probably stick with Luke Shaw in the back. Midfield-wise, I'm with you. Pogba is in, and maybe he's alongside Fred because of Scott's uh, little niggle that he's picked up. And besides that, I see the rest as is. Fair enough, yeah. Let's see Let's see what Ole has in store. I mean, some of Everton's main threats are through their left-hand side with uh, Richarlson. He mm-hmm. likes to cut in, but you know Aaron Wan-Bissaka, I think, can handle that because Raheem Sterling does something very similar. Uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson has started to play well in that number 10 role. They have a big yeah. loss in uh, Alan not playing because of that hamstring industry, in, sorry, injury. Tom Davies played against Arsenal. I don't think he played very well. So we'll see how Carlo sets up. I mean, Dominic uh, Calvin-Lewin is an absolute handful at the moment, the way he's playing. He seems to be getting on the end of everything. He's got a fantastic leap, and his hold-up play has improved uh, magnitudes. So I will be very interested to see uh, what happens with the way Everton set up, but I, I do feel confident in what we just discussed might come to fruition. What I love about Dominic Calvert-Lewin is the consistency. Every match, he has been there in and around the box, creating chances, getting into space, and... You know, especially when James Rodriguez got injured, I was thinking, okay, results-wise, Everton obviously tapered off, but he was a constant threat, and he's maintained that throughout the season. So it should be an interesting matchup, him going up against Harry Maguire and Victor Lindelof. I can see, actually, him targeting Lindelof because Lindelof is not very good in the air. So Mm -hmm. watch out for that in the next game to see if a lot of those long balls from Pickford come in on Lindelof's side as opposed to Harry's side and even crosses coming in from the right with possibly Iwobi crossing it and Dominic, uh, you know, making a late run past Lindelof to get the goal. Let's see what happens there. That's definitely something that's that's on the agenda. And, you know, the last thing is we know United's vulnerability from set pieces and with Yeri Mina in top form when it comes to heading, we'll see how we deal with that near post run. Yeah, one quick thing I want to touch on with you is, and I want to make sure we do this with the FA Cup as well, is just set that expectation of these tournaments going in beforehand so we know where we stand. Is the EFL Cup absolutely something that needs to be prioritized and a trophy it needs to be the focus? I would say FA Cup over EFL Cup, personally. Of course. But one of them has to be a priority. One of them, we have to win one of them. Yeah, so I'm saying specifically for the EFL Cup, if you're saying the FA Cup is a bigger priority, then is the Everton match not of that much consequence? Like, if United go out to Everton, is that a big deal to you? No. Okay. But I do think Ole will put out a strong team. I actually think one more change you might see is probably Dean Henderson. Mm. Yeah, that's my guess. I think Henderson has played all the games in the EFL Cup to date as well. Well, unlike you, Carl, if United do lose to Everton, I'm sure the media will make a mountain out of it. 
I think we can maintain the perspective that United are doing very good things in the Premier League. 13 matches now, 26 points. We talked about two points a match on the last episode, and they're obviously doing that. They're up to third now. The good thing about this 6-2 result is that it gets their goal difference back up and pretty much undoes the result against Tottenham, the 6-1. So plus seven in the goal difference, which gets them above Everton with the game in hand. And five points behind Liverpool at the top of the table, again, with that game in hand. That wraps it up for this episode. Matt, thank you so much for joining us for this one. Obviously not a result that you wanted, but a fun match nonetheless. Over 40 shots attempted, amazing back and forth, nothing but entertainment. A reminder, we are on Twitter at RedCouchManx. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to subscribe and join us after every match and let your friends who might be interested know about it too. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. On behalf of Carl and myself and today, Matt, thank you for listening to Red Couch Banks.